Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Greetings, my friends, and thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Everyday Truth. We are in Revelation chapter 2, talking about this church at Pergamos. Yesterday, we talked a bit about the doctrine of Balaam, one of the problems in that church. Hope you heard that episode. And now today, we want to talk about another issue that this church had. Remember now, this is Jesus himself highlighting the problems in this church. And the Bible says in verse number 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So here we are again with this term, the Nicolaitans. Who were the Nicolaitans? What was their teaching? Because the Bible says, them that hold the doctrine, that means teaching, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And uh, the church wasn't dealing with it. So a couple things. First of all, whoever these people were, they were teachers because it's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And whoever these people were, it wasn't all of the church. It was some people in the church and the church body as a whole was allowing them to continue to teach. Sometimes the fault that we have in our local churches or in our families, in our areas of responsibility, is when we refuse to deal with what we know to be that's wrong. James talked about that in James chapter 4, when he said, when we know to do good and do it not, to, to us it is sin. And so th- here's a church that, that knew that this doctrine was being espoused. They, they knew that these teachers were behaving in this way, and yet they just did not deal with it. So that begs the question, who were the Nicolaitans? Well, the term Nicolaitan really has two parts to it. The first part is the root nikao, which means to conquer. And the second part of the word is the word laos, which means people. And so a Nicolaitan, what that meant was conquering the people. And many people believe that the Nicolaitans were an early, an early form of this idea that the clergy rules the laity in the church and that the authority in the church is to rule the people. Now, nothing can be farther from the truth in New Testament Christianity. Remember what the Apostle Paul taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? He said, listen, I don't want to be a lord over your faith. We believe in individual soul liberty. I don't want to be a lord over your faith, but I want to be a helper of your joy. That's what a good leader does. A good leader is not afraid to preach the Bible. A good leader is not afraid to teach what the clear precepts of God's word teach, but it's not my job to rule your life. It is all of our job to respond to the Holy Spirit, the ultimate teacher who gives us the word of God so that from the inside out, from our heart, we can follow and obey the Lord Jesus. But these Nicolaitans were those that were seeking to manipulate, intimidate, to conquer the people through strong arm tactics. You know, dictatorships can be very efficient. They can be very effective. 
They're just not very godly. And I'm afraid that sometimes church becomes a dictatorship or even a home. And what ends up happening is when people get outside of that dictatorship, they don't want anything to do with it at all. They don't want anything to do with that government. They don't want anything to do with that leader. I think sometimes that happens to children who appear to be so compliant for so many years in the home. And then all of a sudden they turn 18 and boom, out they go and don't want to be associated with what that family identifies with. Don't want to be associated with the rules that that dad uh, put down for them. I wonder sometimes if that's becomes the leadership that we employ is a Nicolaitan type leadership, conquering instead of teaching, training, loving, nurturing, and all the good verbs that, uh, that relate to the, the ministry and leadership of Jesus. Look at verse number 16. Uh, where Jesus says to this church, repent. And repent, as you know, is a change of thinking that ultimately leads to a change of action. And so repent or else, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus said, I'm going to deal with this issue and I'm going to deal with it with the sword of my mouth. What does that mean? Well, obviously that refers to the words of Jesus, the word of God. And so often in the Bible, the word of God is related to a sword. Why? A sword is a weapon. A sword can accomplish its purpose. It has a sharp edge, sharp two edges. And what Jesus is saying here is the best way by which to cut through error. The best way to deal with false doctrine is via the word of God. That's why it's so important that we be people that love and know the truth. That's why it's so important that we be people that submit ourselves to the teaching of God's word. Because at the end of the day, it's God's word that cuts through that mess. It's God's word that shows us what's right. It's God's word that becomes the arbitrator of what is right and what is wrong. What is false doctrine? What is true doctrine? And that's what Jesus said. Hey, you ought to deal with this as a local church. Why? Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. But if you will not deal with this, then I will deal with this with the sword of my mouth. Look at verse number 17, where Jesus finishes his uh, communication with this church. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. So again, even though this is a specific message to this one church, all churches should glean from it. The Bible says, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. What a statement. I will give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. Wow. So Jesus finishes this letter to the church at Pergamos by offering two words of blessing. Uh, Number one, well, first of all, he says, repent, think about these things, get right. But then then he offers words of, of encouragement. And he says, to him that overcometh, and not to you know, beat a dead horse, but remember, overcoming is a matter of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Who is he that overcometh? 
uh, John taught us in uh, the book of 1 John, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So if we're truly saved, if we're walking with the Lord, and one day that we're going to go to heaven, one day we're going to face Jesus Christ. And the Bible says there are rewards in that relationship and in that meeting. And the Bible specifically says here that God will give us of the hidden manna. We will eat with the Lord. Remember how in the Old Testament, the children of Israel had left Egypt and they were going to the promised land. And there in the promised land was a land flowing with milk and honey and food and all that they would need. But the wilderness had nothing. And what did God do? God provided them angels food. He provided them manna. Now, what was it? I think literally God gave them the food that angels eat in heaven. Isn't that an interesting thought? And God said, one day you'll join me. And one day I will give you that hidden manna, hidden in view from you today. But the sweet food of God, you know, that that really speaks to relationship, doesn't it? Because any time in the Bible, especially in the Middle Eastern culture, one was willing to share food with you and the best food with you. That was a, a symbol of a, an open relationship of acceptance. And God is saying, one day, church, you will sit with me and I will feed you the food that, that I have made, that I have prepared. What a day that will be. And then the Bible says, and I will give you the white stone. Now, Bible scholars have differed over what, what does that mean? What is the white stone? I, the, the, the theory that I like the best is the fact that in the first century, in Roman culture, uh, the white stone was a, a symbol of victory, a symbol of reward. So, for instance, when a warrior would come home from battle, sometimes the, the leader, the king, the governor would give him a white stone. Or maybe an athlete who had competed and won in his particular arena of sport would be given a white stone. And in many respects, that was kind of like the key to the city. What that meant was with that white stone, uh, you didn't have to pay taxes in some cases. Uh, You had free admission to all of the activities of that city, the theater, the various places where a normal person would have to pay. Uh, It gave you clout and status to go to the important meetings. I mean, the white stone. And on that white stone would be engraved your name. So if you had the white stone, boy, then you had status. If you had the white stone, then you you had acceptance. If you had the white stone, then you had access to all of these various places. The white stone was everything. It meant that you were the special one granted all of those privileges. It had a name on it. And did you see what the Bible said here a moment ago? That one day when you get to heaven, God is going to reward you. Uh, You have access, won't you? Access to all of God's creation, all of God's blessings, Uh, You have status as a son of God, as one redeemed by him. And the Bible says you receive this white stone with a new name on it. That is so exciting to me. Do you know that God has a name picked out for you? What a thought. God has a name picked out for you. I think it's precious when a young couple thinks through, what are we going to call our baby? 
And what's the middle name going to be? Let's name him after. That's a fun process. My parents named me Kurt uh, after the impish, blonde-haired boy in The Sound of Music. But you know, God has a name for me, a new name written down in glory. And he has a name for you. I wonder what your name is. I wonder a name and the naming of somebody always indicated something special. Uh, God's plans, God's purpose, God's love. Did you notice in the Bible when God had a special call for somebody, he gave them a new name? Abram, Abraham, uh, Simon, Peter. Uh, And God has a name for you. And one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to We're going to be called by the name that God, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of my soul has given to me. And what a day that will be. I hope that helps today. We're going to jump into a brand new uh, letter to another church tomorrow. So I hope you'll join us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time. God bless.